0: Good morning, church. It's so sweet to be here with you. This is actually my first time at a church service at Reality Carpinteria in general, and so I've been looking forward to this for so long. And one of the reasons was to see it, also, though, really just to be able to say thank you. Um, I am so grateful for this church. I can say on behalf of our elders at Reality LA and really our church as a whole that. We're so grateful for the reality family of churches and the support that we've received from that time. You have loved us well over the last 11 years and especially over the last couple of years through a big transition for us. And so I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart and, and how much gratitude I have for you all and the way that you support us, pray for us, love us. Um, Brit has become a dear friend and a mentor for me, and I'm so grateful for his presence in my life as well. So it's an honor. It truly is an honor to be able to come and worship the Lord with you and serve in whatever way I can in preaching the Word of God. I also want to thank you for your prayers. It means a lot, and the Lord has been answering those. God's doing a sweet work. Los Angeles right now, and he's really teaching us how to put down roots deep and really seek renewal in our city in a way that is lasting. So keep praying for us. We're grateful for that. And I would love to be able to get to know as many of you as I can after the service. My wife is here and we'll be hanging out for a while and just love to be able to meet you. I can tell you a little bit about myself just before I get into this. I grew up in Alaska in a small fishing town by the Kenai River and, uh, and then went from there and spent a lot of my life in Seattle. Now, of course, the Lord has called my wife and I to Los Angeles and we love it there. We live there with our four little kids. We have four daughters. So when I say I'm the man of the house, I mean it. But also that there's not much competition. Um, And our oldest is in first grade, so pray for us. Uh, Especially in like 10 years when I have four teenage daughters. Uh, But we're just, we're really grateful to be here with you. And I'm excited to preach the word to you. God has given us a great text to study this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 17. I know you've been plowing through this, and I'm excited to come along and keep it going and keep exalting Jesus and pointing to him and pray that the Holy Spirit gives us more and more faith. So I'm going um, to be preaching out of Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. Once you get there, I'll read that text out loud, and then I'll lead us in prayer once more. Matthew 17, verses 14 through 20. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him, said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come before you remembering that you said that you would send your Holy Spirit and that when he comes, that he would guide us into all truth and he will take what is not his, what belongs to you and declare it to us. Lord, you said that the Holy Spirit would glorify you. And so we ask through the preaching of your word and through the movement of your spirit during this time that you would shine a spotlight on Jesus. We ask that you would lift our eyes from our own circumstances, from our own problems, from our fixation on our very selves and that you would fix them on Jesus Christ. We ask that in seeing him, that it would give us perspective on everything. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. There's a painting in the Metropolitan Museum in Manhattan called The Vision of St. John. It was painted in 1614 by El Greco, and it's a picture of Revelation chapter 6. The martyrs are receiving white robes from above. John, the apostle, is reaching upward to heaven. But the painting that is there in the Met today is actually just a fragment See, in the 1800s, during the Enlightenment, when many people were trying to move remove God from everything, they decided to improve this painting by cutting off the top portion of it. It's a rather large painting, and they cut off almost five feet off of the top of it. And so you still have this painting. They wanted to retain the history, but forget about God. And so if you look at the picture today... The arms of John reach upward, but to where? The martyrs are receiving their white robes, but from whom? I think this painting is a parable of our society. We've tried to remove God from the picture, but when we do, we're still reaching upward. We're still longing. We're still worshiping. We're still praying. Why? Because in a secular world, faith doesn't disappear. It reappears in other forms. We all have faith, but the question is, what or who is our faith in? And in this passage today, we see not only what faith is, but ultimately who is worthy of our faith. We're going to walk through this incredible story, and what we're going to see is a faithless people, a faithful Savior, and the power to move mountains. Let me just summarize the beginning of this story again. It's It's devastating, really. It's a sad story. You have this boy who's an epileptic. He can't control his body, and he's tormented by demons, and he ends up hurting himself. He literally is running into fire. He runs into water and almost drowns, and this family, this community around him must have just been broken. They must have tried everything that they could have. It says that they had gone to the disciples seeking healing, but the disciples couldn't heal the boy. And so the father, who his son is experiencing all sort of pain, he must have been ridden with sorrow. He goes to Jesus himself. And he says, Lord, have mercy on my son. And Jesus hears not only of this boy's pain and brokenness, not only of the father's faith, but of the disciples' inability to bring healing to him. And he responds in saying this, Oh, faithless generation. That's Jesus' assessment of his disciples and those around him. Oh, faithless generation. Jesus knows us. Jesus examines us. We read about in the book of Revelation how he writes letters to the different individual churches. Reality carpenteria. I hope and pray that when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't say, oh, faithless generation. Faith is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Faith is at the heart of this passage and what it means to follow Jesus. But that raises a very important question. What is faith? And it might seem obvious, but when we use the word faith in English, I think we hear it in a different way than they did in Greek. See, the Greek word for faith is pistis, but this word can also be translated as trust or believe or faith. And so it's easy for us to hear about faith and maybe to associate that with intellectual assent, maybe with our minds only, maybe we just think about believing something that might not be real or something that you can't see. But this Greek word pistis is so much richer than that. The meaning is deep. So let me give you a a brief definition of what I would say is biblical faith. Biblical faith is belief plus trust that leads to action. So it begins with belief, with an intellectual assent, but it's not just believing in something, like an idea or a doctrine. It moves from belief to trust, to actually trusting a person, but then to the point of being willing to act on that. And if you lose any one of those, then it's not biblical faith in the, in the, whole sense of the word. But we all have faith, and we all operate on faith all the time. Let me just give you an example of this. My wife and I have been married for 11 years, and on our first anniversary, we went on a little trip to a little uh, island in Canada called Nanaimo, and we went there to celebrate our first anniversary, and we did what is, you know, one of the most romantic things out there, bungee jumping, right? (laughs) Anyone hear bungee jumped before? I mean, so, you know, we've been married a year. We go there. We hear that there's bungee jumping. Why not? Let's, let's go, right? Now, bungee jumping requires a lot of faith in the full sense, the biblical sense of the word. And where we went in Nanaimo, you go out and it's basically this forest in the middle of an island with a river carving a path through the trees. And they take you up on this bridge. It's 150 feet up. You look out, and all you see is trees. You look straight down, and there's the river. And they walk you through this whole process where they tell you what, what you're going to do and all that. And they actually, in, in the process, they ask you, um, do you want to touch the water or not when you go down? <laughs> so my wife is like, uh, I don't know. I just want to like, live through this. And I'm like, yes, I want to touch the water. <laughs> we have different personalities. And they're like, well... Uh, like, how far do you want to go? And I, I'm like, I'll go as far in as you let me go. They actually measure your body weight. They know the, 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 they know the bungee. And so I say, I'll go as far as you let me. So they actually dip me all the way down to about my waist, head first. And so, but here's the process, okay? They have you go out on the bridge and then from the bridge, there's a plank that goes out. You walk out to the edge of this plank and they tell you to put your toes over the edge, Okay. And then you have to stand there with your arms out. Now, this is a beautiful picture of faith. You have to believe that the bungee cord is going to hold you. You have to believe it's not going to snap, that it hasn't been tested, that, that people actually know what they're doing with this. I had to believe that this bungee cord is different than a rope. It's different than a piece of yarn. That, that, that this thing that they're tying around my ankles is actually going to do its job. So it it requires belief. But of course, it doesn't stop at belief because there's a person who's overseeing all this and while he's strapping this bungee cord around my ankles, I'm saying, is this thing gonna hold me? Can I trust you? And he says, yeah, it's gonna hold you. You'll go down, you'll go dip in about to your waist. So I believe that the bungee cord's gonna hold me, but I'm trusting this person who's leading me through this process. But it, it doesn't stop there, biblical faith. It has to go from belief to trust, toes over the edge, to action, to actually stepping out and jumping. See, if, if, if I said, well, I believe the bungee cord's going to hold me, and I trust you, I trust you as a person, but I'm out. <laughs> like, I, I, I got that far, I'm not going to do it. That wouldn't be biblical faith. In the whole sense of the word. It's a belief in the cord. It's a trusting personally, and then it's taking that step and jumping. I did. It was fun. My wife did too. She stood there a little bit longer than me, but she was very brave. We both did it. It's a picture of faith. And so when we talk about faith in Jesus, it begins with believing he is who he said he is. He 's the Son of God and accomplishing what he said he would, the redemption from our sins. But it doesn't stop there of just believing He exists or believing His God. It, it's personal. It's not just believing in a doctrine or an idea, it's actually trusting Jesus or entrusting Jesus with your life, saying, "I believe that you are trustworthy, that you care for me, that you love me. I will place my life in your hands." because I trust your character. But it doesn't stop there. You can't just say that and say, but I'm gonna gonna sit on the side. Because when you believe who Jesus is and you trust in his character, then you take a step and you follow him and you pursue him in his mission of what he's doing. See, real faith draws us into the mission of Christ and seeking and saving the lost. And bring, bringing renewal to all the places where our sin has brought corruption, and bringing restoration where there is ruin, and bringing reconciliation where there has been division. It's the kind of faith that that compels you forward in following Jesus, and that's different than the way we often talk about faith in our culture. Because a lot of the times, when people if they said, "Oh, do you have faith?" we might think it, we would associate that with the question, like, "Do you believe in God?" But in scripture when it talks about faith, hardly ever is it talking about do you believe in the existence of God. Scripture assumes the existence of God. When it talks about faith, it's talking about trusting God's character, entrusting your life to him. It's not like when the disciples lacked faith here that all of a sudden that they had ceased to believe that Jesus exists. Jesus is right there with them and he's saying you're faithless people. It's also worth noting here that they just, they, they've just seen an incredible miracle. And before this, they just came down from the Mount of Transfiguration. They've just seen this incredible display where God speaks over his own son and all of a sudden they're lacking faith. And Jesus gets frustrated with them. <laughs> I mean, Jesus gets a little spicy, okay? He's like, how long? how long? How long do I have to be here for this? I, like, my translation of the Greek would be Jesus saying, like, for real? <laughs> like, really? Like, we just came off the Mount of Transfiguration? Like, you've seen me do all this, and now you have no faith? Faith, in the biblical sense, comes in the context of following Jesus, not just believing he exists, not just believing he did something, but in following him. Because Jesus is not a magician who does tricks. He's a Messiah who saves. He's not a performer who came to entertain us. He's a priest who came to reconcile us to God. He's not a carnival worker who gives us rewards. He's a king who gives us grace. And that means that faith is not just a momentary decision. It's a constant dependence. They have had faith. I think that's why Jesus was frustrated with them. That these are his disciples. They're people who have dropped everything and followed him. They've had faith before. I think he's frustrated with them here because they're not operating out of that faith. They're not experiencing the power because they've disconnected themselves from the source. A while ago, I was trying to print something at my house and our printer wouldn't work. And you know how it is, like technology, you start getting frustrated with it. I'm like, the printer's not working. This has happened before. I'm like pushing all the buttons and banging on it on the side and just getting worked up while I'm doing it. And so eventually I'm, I, you know, I started expressing this to my wife. Like this printer's a piece of junk. We got to get a new one. Like, do you like, have you printed recently? What's wrong with this thing? Can you like, do you know how I get this thing to work? And, and you know, from another room, she says, did you make sure it's plugged in? <laughs> I'm already worked up, right? Like, what an insulting question. Come on, like, I'm an adult here, of course. And then I, you know, just glance over and there lies the cable on the ground, six inches away from the wall, right? See, you don't do what you were designed to do if you get disconnected from your source of power. And faith is how we tap into the very power of God. It's the way we stay connected and in, in expressing faith to God in worship, in prayer, in acknowledging his presence in our lives and having a posture of surrender before him. But when we're disconnected from the very source itself, then we end up thinking something's wrong with God. Like, God, why aren't you fixing this? God, why aren't you doing that? God, why don't you do the things you did in Scripture? And it's like the cords laying on the ground, disconnected from the source. We're looking to God for stuff and not looking to God for God. See, faith has no power in and of itself. And it's important that we recognize that because in our culture, uh, the mantras that get out there are just believe. You just gotta have faith. It doesn't matter what your faith is in. Just have faith. Just believe whatever that is. But that's silly you believe in something that's ridiculous, then that that thing has no power. Your faith is meaningless. Faith has no power in and of itself. The power comes not from the quality of our faith, but from the object of our faith. And that's why in this story, it then transitions from a faithless people to a faithful savior. Look at verse 18 again. After the disciples can't get it, uh, heal the boy, Jesus says, bring him to me. And it says this, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the boy was healed instantly. You've got this chaotic situation with pain and confusion and frustration and brokenness and Jesus enters in and brings peace instantly. He speaks the word like a king and in the same way that he calmed the seas in the same way that he Fed the hungry. He speaks and brings healing into the situation. And I want you to notice that this is a a, a holistic work, this healing work that he does. I mean, we learn from the way he addresses this that the boy not only had a physical problem, there was a spiritual problem. He was possessed by a demon. And I know you've been going through Matthew and you've been talking about demons and spiritual warfare quite a bit, so I'm not going to say a lot about that, but I'll just give you a summary of my theology of spiritual warfare in two points, okay? Here's here's my my theology of spiritual warfare in two points. Satan is real. Jesus is stronger. (laughs) Amen? That's what you need to know. Don't minimize Satan's work, his schemes, the, the reality of the demonic. It's real, but Jesus is stronger. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And so Jesus comes and, and he just exerts authority. It's not a real battle. It's an infinitely powerful savior commanding and it happens instantly. But it's not only a spiritual problem. There's, it's a physical problem. He's an epileptic. He can't control his body. It's a social problem. You can only imagine the shame that would have been associated with this family for the things that were happening with this boy and everything surrounding that. This is all happening very publicly. And Jesus brings healing to the whole situation. And this story and Jesus' response is a beautiful picture of grace. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus coming in who had no obligation to this boy? Who had, who no one in this situation was entitled to Jesus coming and fixing it. Jesus didn't come in and say, well, let me test this boy's faith first. Jesus didn't come in and say, well, tell me about this kid. How's he been? How's his church attendance been? What's he been doing? What's he been doing through this time? Has he done the seven steps that I've laid out? Like Jesus doesn't do that. He comes in and he heals this boy. It's ear. It's it's mere and utter grace. It's the grace of God, and I want you to. I want to remind you of how shocking this is, and how unique this is. See, grace is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion, every other belief system is ultimately going to amount to ascending to God through our works. Christianity is about God descending to us in grace and sending his own son, Jesus Christ. It's, it's complete grace. No obligation, no requirement, just out of the love of Christ. And I want, I want to remind you of that because I think the danger is that we get used to this. Maybe you, maybe you became a Christian a while ago and you've heard so many times that God loves you and that he sent his son and that Jesus brings healing and he forgives sin and he brings renewal and you don't deserve that and it's all from God's love. But maybe you've heard that so much that it almost sounds commonplace. Like you hear it and you think, of course. Of, of course Jesus is gracious. Like, that's just what he does. Like, that's his, that's his job, right? See, the danger is when you presume upon grace, it's no longer grace. If you start saying, well, yeah, like, that's what Jesus does. It's his job to save. It's his job to be gracious. It's no longer grace. It's obligation. He has to do it. But God doesn't owe us grace. He doesn't owe us mercy. What we deserve is judgment, What we deserve is is the response of a holy God who we have declared war against in our own sin. And when he gives us grace, it's shocking, it's counterintuitive, it's mind-blowing, and maybe you've lost the wonder that we should have with the grace of God. Maybe you've heard it so many times that you just think, well, I'm a good sinner, he's a good savior, it's a match made in heaven. Like, he's supposed to forgive us. I remember when our, our first daughter was born and we we're in the hospital and had just been through like, you know, seeing a pregnancy, like the miracle of childbirth and my beautiful little infant, Ashlyn, like being able to hold her and just overwhelmed. I mean, I was just glowing with awe and praising God, seeing the miracle of life, the gift of life, how God just uh, knits a child together in the mother's womb, just Blown away by it. And then pretty soon after our daughter was born, the pediatrician comes in and they've got to do kind of their like typical checkup on the baby. And this pediatrician comes in and I remember this so vividly. I mean, it was seven years ago. She she has a clipboard in one hand and a bowl of cereal in the other, okay? Um, and she walks in, doesn't acknowledge me or my wife, doesn't look at the baby really, like just walks in. She's literally like, you can't eat a bowl of cereal with something else in your other hand, right? She's like trying to eat her cereal, and very clearly, she's just going through the motions of doing her job. And she walks over and and looks at our daughter and just, you know, like like takes a bite of cereal, puts it down, like kind of looks like checks something. Like you can just tell she's doing her job in a way that was no different than someone who's just clicking buttons or picking up a box and moving it. And I'm standing there watching this and I'm like, I'm starting to get frustrated. Like I wanted her to acknowledge the miracle that was standing before her. Like, you can't take this for granted. Like, this is amazing. She was like this tiny and then grew in the mother's womb. And then the birth was like, oh, crazy, right? And then she's there and she's breathing on her own. Like, this is a miracle from the Lord. But see, she had seen it so many times. Day in and day out, baby after baby, that it just became commonplace to her. And maybe for some of us, you've you've heard that God loves you. You've heard of God's grace. You've heard that Jesus died on the cross for your sins so many times that that you've lost that sense of wonder. And you need to be reminded of how shocking it is, how amazing it is, how mind-blowing it is that God loves us so recklessly in his grace. But that's not going to come by focusing on your own faith, but by fixing your eyes on Jesus. See, this passage is all about faith. But the irony is, if you obsess over your faith, it will weaken. But if you look to Jesus, your faith will swell. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. And we need to look to him, not just try and look to ourselves and muster up more faith, or I need to have more faith. It's when you look to Christ and see him for who he is, in the fullness of his grace that it begins to build faith within you. And so what about you? What what situation are you in right now? What's going on in your life where maybe you've looked to this, you've looked to that? You're trusting in something in the midst of your situation. You're looking, you're placing your faith in something or someone for whatever you're going through. Maybe you're looking to money. Maybe you're looking to security. Maybe you're looking to another person. Maybe you're looking to yourself. Have you looked to Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Recognizing he wants to enter into your situation and bring peace and bring perspective and bring healing in your life. He is worthy of your trust. He can handle whatever you've got going on in your life right now. And when we put our faith in Him, then what we will see is that we will have the power to move mountains. Because we've seen a faithless people. We've got a faithful Savior. And when we trust Him, we have the power to move mountains. Look at verses 19 and 20 once more. It says, The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. It's not the size of your faith that brings the power. It's the object of your faith. And when you trust in Christ, there is real power, real power. This isn't like religious fairy dust that try and smooth smooth things over. This isn't like a story that hopefully makes you feel a little bit better so you can handle things. When you trust in Christ, there is real power, power to move mountains, power to change lives, power to reconcile relationships, power to overcome sin, the power to move mountains. I told you earlier, I grew up in Alaska, and if Alaska's got anything, it's got mountains. I mean, the mountains there are amazing. When I moved to Washington, uh, years, you know, as a 12-year-old, we moved there, and you see these, like, you know, 14,000-foot mountains. It's like, I don't know if that's a mountain. It's a, more like a hill, right? I mean, Alaska has mountains, and they're majestic, and you look at them, and you, you, you feel fear. You, you know how powerful, how big that you could get lost, you could die, But I love in Psalm 97, it says, the mountains melt like wax before the Lord. That when we talk about the Lord's power, it's it's like a, a drop, a drop of his power makes the entire ocean seem like nothing. That God can do anything. He is all powerful and he is for us. See, if you think of God as being all powerful but he's like frustrated and disappointed with me, then you can praise him for being all powerful, but not expect his power to break into your life. But God is all powerful and he is for us. He delights in giving his people mercy. He is not a reluctant God who is far away with his arms crossed, looking down upon us with disappointment. He's a God who loves us and longs to bless us and who wants his power to break in. He's a God whose very purpose is to see the kingdom of heaven break into earth through our lives, to see the renewal that only he can bring enter into our lives, to see his grace transform any situation that we are in. This isn't just spiritual feel-good power. This is real power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is living in us through faith. And so whatever you've got in your life, whatever mountain is there, I mean, talking about mountains in this way it was actually pretty typical in this time of mountains representing obstacles, things that seem impossible in your life. Whatever is in between what, where you're at and what God has called you to The Bible says that faith can move those mountains. That that nothing is impossible if you have faith. And that if is a scary word because it's such a powerful passage. It's such a great promise, but everything hinges on this if. It might seem impossible to overcome that sin that you've been struggling with over and over again. But through faith in God, Nothing is impossible. You can overcome sin. It might seem impossible to reconcile that relationship that has gone awry, that has so much tension, that feels like it would be impossible to forgive or to receive forgiveness. But with faith in God, nothing is impossible. He can reconcile that relationship. It might seem impossible for you to be faithful right now in the situation that you're in, to what God has called you to and who he has called you to be. But with faith, nothing is impossible. And it doesn't take you being like super spiritual all-star to do this. It says if you have faith like a mustard seed, a mustard seed, it's the smallest thing you could think of. It means that you don't have to have perfect faith. You just got to have a perfect Savior, and we've got that in Jesus. Amen? he's perfect, he's all-powerful, he's for us, and when we have the smallest faith in him, mountains can move. Do you believe in the power of God? Do you trust God that his power is for you and can transform your life? Because it can and it will. But we need to be clear about this. True faith appeals to God's power for God's purposes. How often do we do the opposite of that? We've got our own purposes and we appeal to God's power to come and help us out with those. And we even learn how to kind of spiritualize this, right? Like, I've just got something I wanna do. I wanna do this thing, but I'm called to it and I'm gonna pray about it. But really, I just want God's power to come and help me out with my own agenda. And the whole irony of that is it might start with God. It might feel very spiritual, but it ends up having a relationship where it's like I'm telling God what to do and he's serving me. And God doesn't do that because God is God and it's about him, it's not about us. And so he calls us to do the opposite of what we normally do of of just looking for his power apart from him we don't like I don't know about relationship. I just want the power to be able to do my thing. He calls us to trust in him in a way that appeals to his power for his purposes. The danger of reading this passage would be we would, we would see the power of faith and we would go out and think, I can do whatever I want with that. It's like, this, it's like this magic formula that if I just have faith, I can do anything. Like, I'm going to go and swim across the Pacific Ocean. And if I have faith, I can do it. If you just believe, here's what's going to happen if you do that. You're going to swim for a while. And then you're going uh, like, to start like, wearing out from exhaustion. You're going to have to get rescued. You're going to be really embarrassed and frustrated. And then you might even get bitter towards God. I had faith. Why didn't God help me do that? Because God's purposes are not for you to swim across the Pacific Ocean. God has never promised that, okay? We have faith in his power when we align with his purposes. I mean, a more real life example, there's a lot of people who, who might think or say, well, God's called me to be a movie star. Or maybe what's a more appropriate uh, meta, you know, uh, ambition here? Maybe it's... Uh, Surfing legend, how's that? Is that carpenteria? Okay, whatever it is. I want to be famous, right? Every one of us wants, we want people to look at us and say, wow, deep down in our sinful hearts, we want that. And we might learn how to kind of cover that up and then say, well, God's called me to this. And then when it doesn't happen, we get frustrated with God and bitter with God. Well, I had faith, I had faith. I know a lot of people who are mad at God for breaking promises that he never made. God never promised you that you'd be famous. God never promised you that it would be easy. God never promised you that you would get whatever you want and that life would be simple and comfortable and secure all the time. And so we need to learn to learn to align our faith with his purposes and experience his power, the Holy Spirit fulfilling or filling us to follow Christ and be a part of what he is doing in the places that he has called us to. Faith um, shouldn't become like holding a leash. It's not like if you have faith that I get to tell God to do whatever I want him to do. Like, all right, God, I believe, so so come over here. Do this for me, do that for me. No, faith is not like holding a leash. I think it's more like flying a kite. My family uh, had a really special moment yesterday on the beach in Carpinteria. Uh, my daughter's birthday was just a couple weeks ago, and someone got her a kite for her birthday. And so we were waiting to go to the beach and try and fly the kite. We've never done this with our kids before. Uh, and so we, we went out last night, beautiful night, sun setting, get this kite out, and I kind of put it together. Honestly, I didn't have a lot of faith. I was like, this I don't know if this kite's gonna work. Like, not a lot of wind. Like, I'm I'm gearing up already to like how to like protect my kids from disappointment from this situation, right? We get the kite together. My daughter holds the string and a gust of wind comes along. Before you know it, this kite is just up. And my daughter Lauren is just running down the beach, holding the string with this kite soaring up above her. And they start passing it from one to the next and our girls are just running up and down the beach holding this kite. It was like carpenteria, just embedded itself in in our family memories. It was such a sweet moment, honestly, of of, of seeing that and our, our, our girls just being overwhelmed by the moment. But it's not like when they were flying the kite that my kids came to me and was like, look what I did. I make the kite go back and forth. Like I hold the string and tell it where to go, and the kite goes. Like no, they don't. They don't know that. It's it's like standing at the ocean with the wind. It's a humbling experience. That it, it's not we who make the kite go here or there or make it soar. It's the wind. The power is in the wind, right? And when it comes to our faith, that's 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 how our faith is. That it, it's not like we're holding a leash, telling God to do this or that. No, the the power is in the wind. Our faith is, is like a kite that just opens up to the Lord and says, your purposes for your power, Lord, I believe, use me. And God's spirit blows, God's spirit moves and works in us and through us as we surrender to him, as we trust in him. Because this kind of faith that's fixed on a powerful savior is really the kind of faith that can move mountains. In 1992, in the city of Sarajevo, which is the capital of Bosnia, the whole city was taken under siege. It was surrounded and attacked for what would be four years of unimaginable suffering. The citizens are are trapped inside of this city. You have bombs coming in from the outside. You have snipers along the walls on the outside. Everyone's living in brokenness, pain, fear, Confusion, not knowing when it's going to end. Unimaginable suffering. But one day, Vidrin Smalevich, who is one of the top cellists in the Sarajevo Opera, dressed in his full suit and sat down in the middle of a bomb crater and started playing his cello. The site was outside a bakery in his neighborhood where the day before a bomb had taken the lives of 22 innocent people. And so for 22 days, one for each of the victims, he decided to combat the ugliness of war with his weapon of beauty. And the cellist of Sarajevo, as he became known, not only played outside of the bakery, but also at graveyards, ruined buildings, and in the sniper-infested streets. It was as if the beauty of his music exposed the true brokenness of the oppression surrounding him, and gave a glimpse of hope to those who could hear it. And one day, a reporter asked him if he thought he was crazy for playing in the war zone. And he simply replied, saying, why do you not ask if they are crazy for bombing Sarajevo? We live in a world that is broken and ruined by our own sin. And we experience chaos, confusion, pain, and suffering. And Jesus has entered into our brokenness by grace. And his life and his death and his resurrection plays a beautiful song of redemption that brings both peace and perspective. And see, this story here about this boy who is healed by Jesus comes within a broader story. Jesus is on his way to the cross. And you're reminded of that even in this context because immediately before and after this story, Jesus predicts his suffering on the cross. And so even this story of of this boy being healed, it's a sign pointing to something greater. It's a sign pointing to a greater healing, a greater display of power, a greater display of God's love to bring renewal, holistic renewal in all of our lives. And faith is not just a decision, it's a perspective. When Jesus went to the cross, it probably would have looked like one of the most horrific scenes that you could ever imagine. We forget that the cross was a brutal form of execution that was intended to torture the victim and publicly shame him. The cross would have been a horrific scene, but by faith, we see that it's good news because it was God's way of redeeming us through love. At the cross, it may have looked like Jesus was a condemned criminal, but by faith, we see that he was truly the king of the universe. On the cross, it may have looked like his mission had failed, but by faith, we see that it was just reaching its climax. On the cross, it may have looked like Christ was defeated, but by faith, we see that he was accomplishing victory through love. And by going to the cross, Jesus takes our sin, he takes our brokenness, he takes our wounds, our pain, so that we might receive forgiveness and healing and restoration and joy and righteousness and the power of the Spirit, a new life, a new identity, a new heart in Christ. And God is raining down those blessings upon us. But we have to receive them by faith. We have to receive them by faith. The problem with this is our sin. See, it's not ultimately our sin that keeps us from God. It's a refusal to receive grace. And that posture that's in every one of our fallen hearts, our sinful nature, is a posture that wants to take control. It's a posture that wants to hold on to myself, to say, I've got it. It's one that wants to grip the idols in our lives that we look to instead of Christ for meaning, for identity, for security, and to hold on to those very things. But the problem is, when we, we, we long for the blessings of God, we long for renewal, we long for his mercy and his love and God has poured that out. The, the scriptures say that he is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He doesn't, He's not tight with his love or with his mercy. He, He's extravagant in pouring out blessings upon us but we go and we try and catch those blessings but we've got our fists wrapped tight around control or on the very things that we look to instead of Christ. I want you to take your fists and hold them in front of you and squeeze them tight. Think of this as the posture of your heart, apart from the grace of God, that you want to you take control, you want to run your own life, you want to do it your way so that you can get the glory. Faith is an opening of our hands and our hearts to receive of God's grace. I want you to open your hands, and when you do so, do it as a sign of receiving of God's grace in a posture of surrender and vulnerability, recognizing that God is abundant in his grace. He's abounding in his mercy. But I also want you to notice this. If you kind of relax your hands, what do they do? They start to close up again. Faith is not just a one-time decision of trusting in Christ. It's a posture of openness and surrender, of constantly receiving from the Lord because his love never fails, his love never stops, his mercy never ends. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. He's more gracious and merciful to you than you could ever dare dream. And he calls us to receive that in faith. So my prayer is that we wouldn't leave this place today, focusing on our faith, trying to build up more faith, but fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is worthy of all of our faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy that you have shown us in Christ. We confess our sin, that we have fallen short of your glory. We confess, Lord, that we have tried to go it alone. We have tried to build our own kingdom and God we come before you and recognize that you alone are worthy of our trust and of our praise. God, we entrust our lives to you, not because we're so good or we have so much faith, but because you are so trustworthy. We do this in Jesus name. Amen. Church, we want to receive in faith. And then we respond. We respond to the word of God. God initiates